the MoneyWeb Crypto Podcast, where we discuss all things crypto-related. Your host, Kieran Ryan. Here's a rather fascinating story about how blockchain technology is breathing new life into South Africa's film industry. Digital asset exchange Forest Digital recently announced it would be investing 500 million rand to upgrade the Fish River Resort and Gary Player Golf Course in the Eastern Cape. That property was recently the setting for a very major reality show. Part of this upgrade involves the creation of the Fish River Studios, a world-class studio that aims to catapult South Africa's filmmaking into the Premier League. And that's just part of a much larger plan involving eight billion rand that will be deployed in other projects around the country. When we last spoke to Forrest co-founder Sonny Fisher, he told us how Forrest was able to bring blockchain technology to the service of small businesses in ways that had never before been possible by, for example, helping Spaza shops raise money to buy stock. The latest news about the Fish River Studios and the scale of the investment looks like another breakthrough for filmmakers in the country. Welcome back, Sonny Fisher. Tell us about the film studios and the Fish River Resort. Now, if I remember correctly, that was a Sol Kirchner Resort, the same man who built Sun City in Northwest Province. But the resort was the subject of considerable legal action with the Prudhoe community in the Eastern Cape recently winning a major legal battle to get back its land. Can you give us the background to the story? So the Prudhoe community uh, were living on the land that became the Fish River, Sun and Casino. And in the 1980s, when the Saskai was formed, uh, they were removed and uh, uh, put on a, a nearby farm and um, never compensated. So a land claim uh, was undertaken and it's taken 30 years for it to go through all of the legal uh, trials and tribulations. And throughout that time, the community has, uh, has stuck at it. Of the original 126 claimants, 106 have died fighting for the land. Um, so it's now theirs, but um, it almost became like a, a white elephant, a, a booby prize, because they now own an asset that used to make money when it was a casino, but it no longer has a casino license. And it's not really viable as a, as a hotel, although it's a most stunning facility built 30 years ago, but Sol Kersner didn't mess around. It's got the finest facilities uh, you can imagine. So um, we were called in to see if there were, we could find a way um, to make this a sustainable, viable business for the community. And it all came together. The land claim went through the constitutional court. The transfer went through about a week ago. And today we uh, have a 50-year lease with them and we're going to turn this into an asset that makes money for the community. Okay, so Forrest is investing $500 million in the resort. The question obviously is where does this money come from and can you explain what is unique about this financing and the way that the money was raised? Yes, yeah, so we, we're using tokens, digital assets, stable coins, uh, asset-backed stable coins to fund the whole project. So putting this together required uh, quite a significant upfront investment and putting a team together to put the, the initial proposal on building the studios, a lot of professional services. All of that was funded by basically people investing in tokens. So, you know, we have our Mahala X token that we sell to Mavens who uh, invest $1,000 uh, to join our network. And uh, we then use the Maven Network to put the whole project together. 
And now we're going to be issuing tokens for people to invest directly in the studios on our exchange. Tell us a little bit more about the tokens. So you're raising money. Uh, are, are people investing in the Mahala token based on the these kind of projects that you're able to bring to the table? Uh, they're kind of trusting you almost as a fund manager that you're going to you know wisely deploy this money and earn them a return. Or, or what, is there more to it? Well, yeah, a little bit more to it because what Mahala X, uh, which is managed by the African Wealth Fund, what it does is it underwrites all of these investments. So one of the problems with community development is a lot of these projects are too risky to fund on their own and are impossible to get funding for. So what we've done is we've syndicated a whole lot of projects and uh, we have a whole bunch of revenue streams that mitigate the risk for investors. We also have capital market investors, pension funds, trade unions, who uh, we're working with, who uh, will be using our platform for investment. So the trick with investment is you have to have scale. It's a function of insurance. It's a function of finance. That's how you mitigate and manage risk. So what we've done is we've put together a basket of projects, also with offtake agreements. So it's really a combination of uh, the right kind of capital. But because we're using digital money, we're able to control how it's deployed we can use smart contracts to take the risk out of finance, a lot of these kinds of projects. What I think is going to be of interest to people in the film industry is that you're setting up a studio. Now, this is going to be a world-class studio. And maybe just talk about that. Why the decision to start backing films? We, you did mention that in a previous podcast that we had, uh, but it looks like this is finally coming to fruition. And are you looking for people in the film industry to reach out to you? Where do we go from here? Absolutely. This is our first strategic move uh, into the industry. We now have our own studio facilities. And bearing in mind that we've built all of this on a cooperative basis. So it's being run by the industry for the industry. So our objective here is to create our own studios where we as South African creatives can create our own series and sell it to Netflix and Amazon. and step up in the value chain because at the moment uh, South Africa is a service industry to the international film industry. So although we're well paid, the cream certainly doesn't come to us. And the reason for that is you need to invest. So the guys like Netflix and Amazon have the capital. So, you know, they'll spend 300 million uh, rand on a, on a series uh, in shooting it in South Africa, which is great. It's great revenue. But, you know, it would be nice to get some of the, the upsides too. So this is uh, really about positioning a South African film for the fourth industrial revolution and um, for um, moving up the value chain. And we see this as a strategic move in the future of this country. The, the other thing that we've done is we've created a, a, a full rebate. We're using smart contracts and some uh, clever structured finance we're able to provide the rebate to people who want to make movies uh, on our platform. And um, I think that's going to, as they say, bring the boys to the yard. I've modeled this on the Atlanta model where, you know, they have the biggest studio in the world now in Atlanta because of their film credit uh, process and how well it works. So, you know, we, we're very serious about positioning the Eastern Cape for the fourth industrial revolution, because remember film studios, it's not just film, it's also VR, virtual reality. 
it's a whole new era of entertainment um, and content uh, needs to be created for it. Not to mention the fact that you've got all of the streaming networks now, Netflix, uh, Amazon, Hulu, Apple, all of these people need content. So, you know, it's an opportunity to uh, really create an industry and put proper money into it because that's what we need to do, Kieran, to create jobs and to get people off social grants. I always mention this, but over the last 10 years, we spent a trillion rand on social grants. In the next three years, we're going to spend a trillion. Surely it makes sense for us to invest a billion or two in a strategic industry that can create, you know, maybe three, 4,000 direct jobs, but, you know, hundreds of thousands of jobs with the catering and the accommodation and the laundries and the sets. And here we are in the middle of really almost rural uh, uh, Eastern Cape, uh, almost in the trans sky, and we're turning people into filmmakers and set builders. And I mean, that's economic transformation. Is this uh, something unique in South Africa? Uh, the question really is, are there other film studios doing what you're doing in South Africa? Or is this a first? And if you could also then just explain this rebate and how that works. So um, it's a first. The, the first thing we did when we had a look at this project uh, is we got the local film industry and we reached out to some of the doyens in the industry, some of the big players. And we asked them what would make it work for them. And they stepped up immediately and they have an organization that does green productions where what they do is the industry all take a percentage of their turnover and contribute it to a fund for industry development. So we're going to use this as a, a way to bolster their efforts. We're going to have an office here. And um, we also um, have been working with the Tswani University of Technology with the Institute for the Future of Work. And, you know, that's where the film and the art schools are. And we, as an industry, need to work together to make sure that we don't create unemployed graduates. So we need to work much closer together with the universities to make sure that uh, uh, people are work ready and that we're creating the right people for uh, the, the right projects because we're going to be creating a lot of jobs. And I think that leads to the point about the rebate. So the way the rebate works is to qualify for the rebate, you have to use our procurement systems and we provide a real-time rebate. At the moment, certain productions in the country qualify for a tax rebate of, of uh, up to 30%, but it's a laborious process. And at the moment, it's not being paid out timelessly. And it also doesn't apply to all kinds of entertainment. So it, it applies to independent film production, but it doesn't apply to uh, reality shows. So what we doing is we're doing our own one where we're using a smart contract to generate the rebate and there's certain caveats to how the money gets spent it has to be spent on the platform and we have a procurement platform that uh, will be rolling out that manages procurement so we make sure that when we're funding the project you've spent it at an approved production house they'll be on the system everything gets managed on the platform with complete transparency and without the opportunity for anybody to to fudge anything and to you know uh, use technology to make it efficient and to mitigate risk. Um, and that's going to allow us to pump a lot more capital into it because the other thing we measure is how the money gets spent. So now we know the economic impact of any rebate that we're giving. And now we have a basis to sit down with government and say, you know, give us this incentive, give us that incentive. We can account for every cent that was rebated, where it went, and who those people are who received it and the makeup of, of that. So we can focus on the areas that need to be focused on. 
So at the end of the day, this also gives you access to data. And if you want to build an industry, we need to know what's going on. So we manage that data collaboratively through the people who are using the platform to make sure that you know, confidentiality is maintained, but that we can also share the info with the industry so we can be smart about resource planning. Uh, we need to optimize this. We need to use the best tools that we have. We don't have a lot of money. We've got to make it count. Do we have some stats on what the South African film industry generates per year in terms of revenue? And I know in a previous discussion with you, you were saying that there were these international film crews that were coming out to South Africa, but the amount of money that was being expended in South Africa was minimal. They were using the locations and they were using some staff and some crew, but most of that money was was, uh, staying outside of the country. Obviously, the intention here is to have as much of that money remain in South Africa as possible. Well, you know, that's why the rebate system is um, so important, because if we can say to foreign filmmakers, you get 30% of your money back straight away just by spending it locally, uh, it encourages them to spend more. And uh, um, that's why it made sense to build the biggest studio in the world in Atlanta and, and to make that capital investment. And um, if you look at technology today, the Fish River Sun is two hours from Port Elizabeth and an hour from East London. Now, to drive an hour to work if you live in LA is like a blessing. But then, you know, we're also building chalets, uh, uh, unbelievable VIP accommodation, our 40 units on the golf course for the movie stars who come out. And uh, all of this, uh, we're tokenizing. And we, we're working with uh, the, the smart guys at Schindler's Attorneys, with Marcel Crispy and his team. And uh, this is basically tokenized like a, almost like a mini uh, rate, like a, a real estate investment trust. And all of that gets tokenized. And, you know, we, we're going to be tokenizing lots of community-owned assets. We have many communities that we're working with um, that are also about ready to launch, where we will be taking investment to tokenize the assets. Because finally, we have a way to unlock community-owned land, tribally-owned land, because we create this trust and we basically securitize the revenue from that. And uh, we believe this is a model that will unlock a a lot of local economic development projects that are stuck, that can't be funded by banks because they don't own the land and the traditional risk model uh, doesn't make sense. It's a fascinating concept. I mean, just as a matter of interest, the Fish River Resort that was developed by uh, Sol Kurtzner, I I guess that was, what, decades ago, maybe three or four decades ago. Um, what has happened to it? It used to be a casino. Um, a cis guy at that time was a was a Bantu stan. It was then incorporated into the Eastern Cape, so it lost its license. What is has it been functioning as some kind of resort with just without a license? Uh, yes. So um, the government bought it from uh, Sun International for about eighty four million for the community, and they've been funding it uh, to the tunes of millions a year uh, to fund the losses because it's not viable as a, as a hotel. Uh, without a casino, you know, it just doesn't make sense. They tried converting it into timeshare um, and made the unit self-catering, but this model will never work. And the thing with a golf course, you know, you have to maintain it. Uh, if you don't water it after four days, you know, the damages can run into millions. So the government um, can't afford to put more money in, and the community need a sustainable and um, solution. So that's when uh, when we got involved. 
but the industry, I must say, has risen to the challenge. We also managed to get Arlene Sandrock onto our team. Uh, people in the film industry will know uh, Arlene's name very well. She ran uh, Cezanne Studios for 15 years plus. Um, they were running five soaps there uh, a day. Um, they've you know, done two versions of The Voice simultaneously you know, for multiple countries. Um, you know, they've got a million firsts, and she really understands the film industry. And she's absolutely passionate about community development and upliftment. So we're bringing the best brains in the industry to bear to say, how can we take this asset that's owned by the community, but it's actually owned by all South Africans? You know, this is a billion rands worth of infrastructure that would be lost if we didn't come up with a plan. And that's, you know, absolutely stunning here. Um, beautiful beaches, an 18-player Gary player, 18-hole golf course, beautiful accommodation, beautiful walks, unbelievable swimming pool. It uh, needs to be saved for everybody. And we have lots of assets like this and lots of farmland. And in the Eastern Cape, lots of opportunities that just need liquidity to fund uh, to get them to commercial sustainability. All right, this 500 million that you're investing in the resort is part of a larger amount of 8 billion rand that you plan to invest in a number of different projects. Have you earmarked projects for investment already or are you looking for projects still? Uh, is the money lined up? How do we go from here? Well, we really take this uh, as a sort of a community approach. So we've got projects in uh, Limpopo, uh, some more projects here in the Eastern Cape, in the Northern Cape, where we're working with communities um, because you need to do this at scale. So we put together a whole bunch of projects, bundle them together and uh, raise the capital uh, together. So we're very much open to communities joining in. We've got a platform designed for communities and the way we work is your community, your rules. When you join, you get our banking platform, you get our uh, finance platform, you get our advertising platform, and we have a whole range of tools for communities and for businesses, for SMEs. And then we also give you the opportunity to trade with other communities and to get access to, to other markets. So, you know, we've created a marketplace. And uh, it's growing uh, really fast and it's, uh, easy to join. And uh, now we have just started lining up the community, the local uh, Prudhoe community, and we go into the community, understand where everybody is, the skills they have, the opportunities. And, you know, we want to bring everybody along. And we have a local economic development professors who are experts who we've been working with for a good couple of years in the Eastern Cape in the Sundays River Valley, where we, we've come up with a, a way to, you know, go into community, figure out what they have, what they need, and to help uh, the community start that journey of creating a local economy. I presume you're doing this for sound business reasons. Do you evaluate projects in the same way that a bank or a financial institution would? You just want to see that there's a profit somewhere down the line? Yeah, I am actually want to dispel the myth that the two are uh, antithesis of each other. I believe you can make more profit by having a sustainable model. And that's even before you start to take the true cost of doing business into account. The projects that we're working on and the communities, because our, our labor is basically free. I mean, people are sitting around with nothing to do. So we can be so competitive and um, we've got some things that we can really scale and be globally competitive on. Um, I think we can make more money than 
you know, gold mining or banking or micro lending or, you know, stealing money from poor people. Um, he has a way to actually make money and make proper money. Do, do you know how big the entertainment industry is in Nigeria? Why are we not making uh, content for the Nigerian market? Just think about the potential if we really invest and tackle this thing properly. Why is there no Isikosa-based uh, soap on TV? Let's do that. Let's do it out of here. There's so many opportunities. Uh, and also, the other thing to bear in mind with the studio is it's a digital studio. It's not only about television, but it's also about our advert buying platform. So a lot of the content that we're making is driven by e-commerce and the opportunity to buy whilst watching the content. And that format, um, I think, is going to converge in the metaverse. And I think there are lots of opportunities to make money in this space. And we're going to be doing some interesting things, a business show where people can invest whilst they're watching like a, a Dragon's Den. We're looking at a golf format so we can utilize the golf course. All of this interactive because, you know, we've got people in the digital world now. So we've got some interesting formats that I think are also going to drive uh, a lot of investment here. And uh, we can capitalize on it uh, as a region and as a country. Okay, let's very quickly talk about central bank digital currencies or CBDCs. That's something you're also involved in, right? Indeed. Uh, I, recently, we had the Blockchain Africa conference, and one of the sessions I moderated was the one on CBDCs. There were some really fascinating developments and discussions around CBDCs in places like the Bahamas and even here in South Africa. The problem is that regulators, the central banks, for example, are waiting for someone else to take the lead. China's launched a CBDC. There's talk of digital currencies, and I think in almost 100 different countries around the world, but very few have, have, make, have, have taken the plunge. You have a project which could become a template for countries around the world to adopt. So tell us a little bit about that. Yes. Yeah, so, um, you know, I was part of the uh, R3 Bank of International uh, Settlements, uh, IMF, and World Bank initiative on uh, creating a global CBDC taxonomy. So a, a year and a half of work with lots of central banks were involved, and um, the, the architecture was laid out. One of the big risks that was identified was um, this is something that can't fail. You know, you can't have a central bank launch a digital currency and then it goes down for whatever reason. So whilst they see the potential, the reputational risk of launching it is a challenge and easier to manage in a country with central command and control like China. So it's one of those things that nobody wants to be first. And that's one of the reasons why for us it was built and it was built by mavens, who people who understand somebody has to be first. And what we've done is we've created synthetic CBDCs. So it's built on the same rails, runs on R3, and we can provide a synthetic CBDC for any country and run it on a build, operate, and transfer model where we'll start off by issuing um, the tender and have it backed by deposits. But ultimately, you want them to uh, take over the issuing of it and the administration of the wallets because what is a country if not its currency? I don't think a private company should be issuing sovereign currency. Ultimately, um, I don't want to be the person making those decisions. I think it's it's part of you know the makeup of the whole monetary system. So we're creating a, a mechanism where countries, and particularly countries in Africa, you know, that haven't rolled out banking, 
if you have a look at places like Ethiopia, DRC, they virtually have no bank accounts. So you may as well go straight to the cutting edge. And instead of issuing M-Pesa and a MTN money and a, and a this one and a that one, just go with one currency in their uh, local fiat currency that everybody can integrate into one platform, provide it to everybody for free. And then you also have the interoperability and the scale and size of the market for it to make sense. Held back, you know, mobile banking in South Africa, no one had significant enough market share and there's no interoperability. They didn't form a SAS switch and Vodacom never got together. But ultimately, um, it's, it's never going to make sense to have different, a myriad of wallets. It means you have to have money in your Vodacom wallet and a float there. You need it for your Uber wallet. You need it for your Luno wallet. You really just want to have it in one digital format. We're helping to roll that out in a number of African countries. And, and I'm hoping that we're going to get that right in South Africa. And, and are you doing this with the, in consultation with the central banks and the regulators in these countries? Because it, it sounds like you, you, you're going to be launching, you said, a synthetic CBDC. So I almost had the picture of this is like when you open up an online trading account, you want to trade Forex, you have a demo account where you use play play money. But I think you're going a little bit further than that. You're actually going to be funding these, uh, these accounts or these wallets. Do I have that right? Yes. Yes, it's 100% pre-funded. It's, it's real. The synthetic part is, I guess, you know, you, you can't issue central bank digital currency unless you're a central bank. So uh, we're issuing digital currency, but it's got all the properties of, uh, of the type of currency that a central bank would issue so that uh, when they are ready to take it over, they can just take it over and we don't have to reinstall and re-enroll and you know, so um, hence the synthetic CBDC. But really what we're doing is it's our own currency backed by deposits running on the same rails that the central banks um, would use if they were going to do it themselves. So I guess the idea is that you would just demonstrate to them that this thing can work, that people will back it, people will open up wallets, and it can fulfill this, this dream of mass adoption of, of financial services. Yes. Well, the reason I was on that um, working group is um, I believe the barrier to entry for anybody in the space also is Visa and MasterCard. Visa and MasterCard have 80 million devices out there and several billion cards. So it's easy for them to you know, uh, block out uh, competition and they own the retail space and that's where the money is made. So we, we came up with a strategy to uh, come up with a ubiquitous QR code um, that everyone can use and we can have multiple chains, multiple issuers. So that's kind of our secret source. We've now integrated that into all of the retailers um, through uh, one of our partnerships. All of the major retailers will be able to accept our payment. And that's been a big barrier up to now. So I think what we want to prove with our synthetic CBDC is that we've actually managed to um, really capture the whole value chain and that we can have this currency working from central bank through retail to the end customer for free on a sustainable model. Because then why would you not collaborate? That's a fascinating discussion. And I think we need to pick that up uh, on another occasion in a little bit more depth. But what is really interesting, I think, for anybody in the, in the film industry is that there's, there's something serious going on in the Eastern Cape that you need to pay attention to. And I think what is also fascinating is the use of 
tokenization and blockchain to get this done and the way the money was raised, how the money is being deployed. And it's also being deployed in a very sustainable way by getting the local community to monetize an asset that has been theirs for and taken away from them, I guess, for, for a long period of time, but it's now been returned to them by the courts and showing them how they can actually make money from that. I want to thank you, Sonny Fisher, for joining us and please stay in touch. Let us know how this project goes. Absolutely, will do. Thanks for listening to the MoneyWeb Crypto Podcast, hosted by Kieran Ryan. To listen to our other podcasts, go to moneyweb.co.za or the MoneyWeb app and follow MoneyWeb News for daily updates.